My name is Leia Ajayi. I'm a urology consultant surgeon at the Royal Free Hospital in London, England. And on behalf of the Endo Urology Society, we have a podcast today sponsored by Cook Medical to talk about supine versus prone PCNL. I have two esteemed colleagues with me today who do not need introduction. I'd like to introduce you first, Dr. Janik Desai, the chief urologist at Sanvid Hospital, Ahmedabad in India. Welcome, Dr. Desai. Thank you. And also, I'd like to welcome Dr. Guido Giusti, consultant urologist at San Rafael Hospital from Milan. He's head of European Training Center in Endourology. Again, Dr. Giusti, welcome. Thank you very much. Well, thank you both for taking part in this podcast. And we have an excellent topic to discuss today, the whole issue of supine versus prone PCNL. I'd like to start with Dr. Desai. Could you just give me a summary of your experience with PCNLs? Yeah, we started uh, PCNL in 1987 and India is a stone belt, so a lot of patients coming in. So we started our prone PCNL because that's the way we learned from some of the Americans. I went to Arthur Smith, picked up a prone PCNL and we started doing those PCNLs, the standard PCNL as we would call it with her 30 French dilation on which the amplugs which fits over it is actually 35 French. So therefore, I started calling it the maxi PCNL. But down the road, slowly, we embraced mini PCNL. And in 2010, I proposed the ultra mini. And that's how I built up my experience on various types of PCNL. That's great. Thank you. And Dr. Justy, could you tell us about your experience? Both of you are vastly experienced in this area. You're very well known for your supine PCNL. So I'd be interested to see when you chose to move from prone to supine PCNL. This is a very good point because I'm a little bit renowned for supine PCNL, but please don't forget that I'm coming also from a long period of prone PCNL. That's why I do know what I'm talking about because I was fellow with Dr. Clement back in 1996. And since then, till 2006, I performed more or less 1,000 prone PCNL. Then, of course, the temptation to switch to supine was obtained by traveling around the world. And since then, I think that I perform mostly only supine PCNL because the bottom line is the procedure is the same. I only say that is an easier way to perform the same procedure. I don't want to tell you that it's a better procedure. If you are a good PCNL surgeon, the outcome will be the same. It's only, I would say, a easier way to obtain the same outcome. Thank you. I mean, we'll come into some detail on that. I just want to go back to Yannick, who mentioned miniaturization of PCNL. I'd be interested to get his thoughts as to why he felt the need to miniaturize and really what the experience has been with miniaturization. When we were doing the standard PCNL, the 30 French on which the amplugs are 30, which will amount to a 35 French dilation, we were seeing bleeding. Sometimes if the puncture was not very accurate, there was some bleeding. And as a result, that observation was always there that PCNL sometimes can lead to bleeding, though not torrential, but sometimes once in a while a transfusion as well. So there was always this feeling that if the instruments could be reduced in size, uh, if the tract is lesser, the dilation is lesser in size, perhaps the bleeding could be reduced. And the mini PCNL was introduced in almost 2001 by Sven Lamhe from Germany, which almost proved that 
mini PCNL was reducing the bleeding. Of course, there was a trade-off of the timing, the time spent to remove those large stones. However, down the road, the large stones are also disappearing. People rush to the clinics faster. You know, the staggon stones are more or less are reducing because patients are reaching the clinics much faster than they would have done earlier. And therefore, in 2010, I thought that if we can reduce the size still further, and of course, this was all possible because technology was coming in, lasers were introduced, the telescope size was going down because of fiber optics, and surely introduced the telescope just one millimeter thick with a 17,000 pixel resolution, which was good enough to see very clearly in the pelvic calicial system. And therefore, we thought that by going smaller, we could tackle the small and mid-sized stones without that bleeding. That's Uh, incredible. What would you consider the optimum size of your tract dilatation? Well, it will entirely depend upon the complexity of the stone. So if the stone is less than 15 millimeters, we would still do a flexi-retroscopy, not in the lower pole though. The miniaturization is between 15 and 20 millimeters. That is the sweet spot for miniaturized PCM. The moment the stone is larger or becoming more complex, it's either mini or it's sometimes even standard PCM. And just for our audience, what do you dilate your track to? If I do miniaturized PCNL, I would dilate with the initial Teflon dilators until 13 or 14 French. My sheath is 13 French, so that's the maximum dilation. Thank you very much. And Guido, your thoughts with supine PCNL, what's your go-to track in terms of size? Well, the procedure is the same. It's a PCNL, no matter the patient is supine. So I would say that I use the same diameter of a prone PCNL, maximum 24. Most of the time, 24 is enough. If you use Trilogy or Shock Pulse, it's more than enough to clean also big stone. Only in case of big stone, I still go for 30. But this is a good point, according to what Janek said before. There is no universal size. We have to be ready to start maybe with the small track. And if you see that the stone is hard and you need or bigger than expected, we have always to be ready to enlarge the track size on the way. So we have to be flexible, not only with the ureteroscopy, but also with PCNL. Thank you. And in terms of your setup in your OR, let me return to Janik on this. Have you had to adapt your setup? You've been doing prone for a number of years and I have no doubt you've done thousands. The setup in theater, is there any guidance you can give our audience as to how we set up for prone PCNL in the operating theater? Two things to that. Number one, the standard setup of any operation theater, making the maneuvers simple and fast so that when you do a prone PCNL, the induction is on the trolley, the patient is anesthetized, and then we flip the patient in the prone position. We keep two pillows ready on the operating table, one near the chest, one on the pelvis, and two people will just flip the patient gradually so that the chest falls on the upper pillow and the pelvis falls on the lower pillow and the abdomen is lying free between the two pillows. So that is the positioning. And the second thing is in the OR, you have to keep the equipment ready, which is going to guide you to puncture. For me, it's the C-arm, but we also have sonography ready always. So I do a quick scan on sonography, but my puncture is absolutely fluoroscopy guided. Thank you very much. We'll come to that topic in a second. Guido, can I just get your thoughts? If you had to adjust your theater setup with your team from when you converted from prone to supine PCNL? 
Well, Jana, sorry, but for supine, the preparation of the patient is much quicker and faster. And we have only to place a small pillow under the flank of the patient. And remember, this is a good suggestion. Don't do the mistake to rotate the patient too much because in supine, unless there is a retrorenal colloc, the less you rotate the patient, the easier will be the puncture. We published recently our position is more or less a Galdaka opposition, but I save half of the table for the leg of the stone size, and we use the stirrup only on the contralateral side because in this way we can avoid some conflict with the nephroscope against the iliac crest of the patient, and sometimes this is very disturbing when you want to reach the upper calyx through a lower pole axis. I think this is such a great modification to the Gardago Valdivia position. I think you named this position, haven't you, Guido? Yes, thank you very much. Uh, it no, was my team. Excellent. They wanted to call it just this position a little bit too much self-celebrative, oh. but anyway. I call it a juicy position when I use it as well. Great, Indeed. great. So it's a great addition to our technique and it gives us a lot of versatility. This is important because according to the paper of my friend Mario Sofer, you know that one of the advantages of supine is that you have a very higher chance to get the upper calyx through a lower pole axis when compared to prone. But if you have the stirrup on your size, this maneuver sometimes can be impaired. That's why we solve this problem in this way. You both made some very good points. I just want to touch about what modality you use to aid your access. Ultrasound guidance or your fluoroscopic guidance approach to puncture the kidney? Well, I think that in 2020, you cannot afford not to take a look before we do ultrasound, just to be sure that there is no colon or other organs in between. But I agree with Janak that at least in my hands, fluoroscopic puncture is a very easy and straightforward so I don't use systematically ultrasound during my punch. Yannick, I'll be interested in your thoughts, your approach, please. Yes, so I also depend fully on the fluoroscopy, the C-arm as we would call it. And I use two planes, plane one and plane two, very much like Guido and me, we do it the same way. We turn the C-arm towards the head end or the foot end, not the bullseye technique, the triangulation technique. But I use a quick sonography just to be sure that the colon is not in the way, the liver, in case I'm doing an upper pole puncture, the liver or the spleen on the right or the left side respectively is not on the way. And I proceed with my puncture, the triangulation technique. Yeah, I think most urologists who are happy with fluoroscopic guidance use fluoroscopic. My slight thoughts is when urologists are converting from prone PCNL to supine PCNL, there's a lot of anxiety around visceral injury. So having the ability, as Guido said, and you've also mentioned that, making sure there's no surrounding viscera before you're doing your puncture, I think it's a very useful technique. I'd like to just move on and get your thoughts on, really, we talked about track dilatation, whether you use the Amplax renal dilators or the balloons, such as the Ultrax, I wonder which one you prefer. If I'm doing a miniaturized, there is no question of a balloon because I just use the initial two Teflon dilators, eight, which is exchanged for the 14, and that's the end of it. But if I'm doing the mini until, say, 22 or 24 French, then we would do the telescopic Alken dilators. We don't use the balloon dilators for two reasons, apart from the expense. A balloon dilator is something which is pre-decided, like you decide that I'm going to do a 24 French dilation or a 30 French dilation, and you open that balloon and that's it. But when we do our puncture and we are dilating, we take a decision as we progress that, okay, let's restrict to 22. 
and that is possible with the telescopic alkane dilators. In balloon, it's a pre-decided balloon that you have to pick up. And Guido, are you, do you use the old tracks the balloon or do you use that Amplex you know, dilators to develop your track? Honestly, I use only Ultrax balloon because I think that it is much faster, straightforward, and I would say a little bit more respectful for renal parenchyma. But honestly, the medical literature is not supporting this. On the medical literature, you can find papers in favor of balloon, but also paper in favor of metallic alkane set. I think it is also a matter of habit, but for sure it's very easy and straightforward. So my preference is definitely balloon. As I discussed, I'm trying to build up my experience on supine as well, though I'm very much on prone still, but I want to be equally adept with supine. And that is essentially because if Guido feels that is good for the patient, there must be some sense. So, so I, <laughs> I have started doing it and I have done almost 100 supine. And I'm very convinced about one thing, that when you dilate in prone, the dilation with alkane is better with the alkane dilators. But with supine, the balloon is going to be a better form of dilation. So if I'm going to do more and more supines, I think I'm going to use the balloon for supine dilation. Is that because you think the kidney is mobile in the supine position? It's more mobile? Yes, it's more mobile. So that's a little bit of a worry that as you push, the kidney gets pushed. Whereas if you put the balloon and it's in position and you pop it up and there you go one stage and it's finished. So that's one point. And the second point is when you are forcing or gradually twisting the telescopic dilators, you have to push gently. And when you push from above, it's a little easier. But when you go from below, it's a little less controlled. And therefore, a single stage balloon dilation would be more controlled. I think we agree with you, and those are very valid points. We mentioned the words laser earlier, and I'd be interested to get your view. There's lots of new technology that uh, we have at our disposal, pulse-modulated homium lasers. And I'd be interested to know, Guido, first of all, whether you're a duster or fragmenter when it comes to PCNLs, if you're using a laser. I think that laser is not for standard PCNL. I would say that it's an essential tool for mini perk. But if I go for standard perk, my preference is both of the shock pulse or trilogy, because there is no comparison in terms of velocity of the lithotripsy. So for standard perk, I still prefer double trilogy or shock pulse. For mini perk, I do prefer laser. But I think at least, I don't have scientific data on this, but my impression is that fragmentation is much better for mini perk, because then we can take advantage from Venturi effect, from vacuum cleaner effect, so it's much faster to remove fragment, let's say, around half a centimeter rather than to pulverize. Pulverization is the way to go for flexible ureteroscopy because we don't have a big access to the kidney. But if we have a good access with mini perk, I don't see the reason to pulverize the stone because, of course, it's going to be much more time consuming. With the high energy watt lasers that we have at our disposal, pulverization will still be your technique rather than dusting. One of the advantages of this new technology is the ability to dust more. But like you rightfully said, it's time-consuming. Yannick, you're a world expert with ultra-mini PCNL. I'm interested to really get your views on what Guido has mentioned. Please, can we share your views with laser technology yeah. with ultra-mini? 
as far as this pulverization or breaking is concerned, I 100% echo the sentiments offered by Guido. It's going to be fragmenting and not pulverizing because we don't want to waste time in PCNL. When it comes to miniaturized PCNL, the ultra mini PCNL, obviously there is going to be laser. There is no trilogy or no shock pulse. It's going to be just laser. And we again would like to fragment the stones to a size of 1, 1.5 millimeters because we are going to pull them out. We are not going to waste time dusting the whole stone. A stone of say 20 millimeters is going to take a while to dust. And therefore, my technique would be break them into size about 1 millimeter to 1.5 millimeters and with the venturi effect, the whirlpool effect, pull them out. And if some stone is left behind, I would very much use the engage basket. It's one of my most favorite tool. You just put in that basket, put it on that fragment, which is a stubborn fragment, maybe stuck to a little bit of a clot, and you engage the stone in the basket and pull it out. So I would at the end do that. I think both of you made some excellent points about fragmenting rather than dusting in doing mini PCNL. I, for sure, who started doing mini PCNL over the last few years, I tend to dust. But hearing both your views, you're both high-volume surgeons. You have no time to waste. And I think fragmenting is certainly the way forward. And I've certainly learned that from both of you today. So thank you very much for sharing that knowledge with me. Now, again, an area of PCNLs that we enjoy as endourologists is actual intrarenal surgery, manipulating, accessing calyx within the kidney. I'll be interested to get Janik's view how much maneuverability he finds and manipulation he finds during prone PCNL. So that is one of the major advantages of supine PCNL. If you do a prone PCNL, doing uh, additional flexi retroscopy is going to be a challenge. We did try that. We did try doing that, but it's not that easy. When you do a supine PCNL, this is definitely an advantage that as you do the supine and uh, in the midst of the procedure, you take a call that my colleague uh, standing next to you and I would say that, why don't you put the scope from underneath and bring that fragment down for me? And he would quickly start doing it. And in five minutes, that fragment is already down. So that I feel is a major advantage of supine PCNL. Thank you. Guido, can I get your thoughts on this? As someone who does a lot of endoscopic combined intrarenal surgery within your European Training Center of Endourology, I'd be interested to get your views in terms of manipulation ability in supine. Well, first of all, let me thank uh, Janak because actually he's supporting uh, supine PCNL more than I'm doing. <laughs> so thank you very much, Janak. But for sure, this is the great advantage because I would say that etches is an extra weapon that we have with supine PCNL. I don't do etches every time systematically. So can you tell them what etches is? Etches is in Italian. It's endoscopic combined intrarenal surgery. Thank you. But this is the good point of supine PCNL. I'm not doing every case systematically, but I am always ready to switch to endoscopic combined because the position is very easy and straightforward. So definitely this is an advantage because as Janak said, some American friends, they are saying that endoscopic combined is possible also in prone, very easy, but it is not. It is definitely easier in supine position. So I'm interested, as someone also, I'm slightly biased in this conversation because I also am a strong supine PCNL advocate. 
And I find that my enjoyment of the procedure and my access to the oral calyx is possible in the supine position because you're able to perform endoscopic combined renal surgery. I'm interested to get your views about stone-free rate because I think the fact that you can use the retrograde access as well as percutaneous access often gives you better perception that you're stone-free at the time of the procedure. So I'd like Guido to perhaps answer this question first whether you think supine position might have a higher stone-free rate in your hands. This is only a personal impression because if you go on the literature, there are more papers supporting better stone-free rate for prone rather than the opposite. But in my feeling is that if you are a good surgeon, the outcome will be the same. I only stress the concept that according to the easier way to do combined approach, most of the time I will say I can reach the same outcome, the same stone-free rate, but with less chance to have a second access, just because, of course, you can do pass the ball technique, and this is definitely an advantage. So no better stone-free rate. Stone-free rate is the same, but maybe invasiveness of PCNL is a little bit reduced just because you have an easier access to flexible manipulation. So what you're saying is perhaps it might reduce the need for a second puncture sometimes, the fact you can manipulate stones. Is that what you're saying? Yes. In supine. Yes, that's my point. Thank you very much. Yannick, let me get your view about your stone-free rate, supine versus prone. Yes, I agree with Vido that I think for a good surgeon, he's going to give equivalent stone-free rates, whether he does supine or prone. I don't think one position will influence the stone-free rate. It's the meticulousness of the surgeon which will influence the stone-free rate. Now, having said so, for miniaturized PCNL, if you do a supine, and I am embarking on that study, if you do a supine, because of gravity, the flow is very easy. It's coming down easily. The small fragments I'm seeing, it's just an observation. I don't have a scientific backup as yet. It's an observation that the fragments come out easier in supine, in miniaturized, than in prone. And since I want to do a lot of miniaturized, uh, that was one of the main reasons why I'm trying my hand on supine as well. So that's my feeling. That's very helpful. And in your experience now of having done probably 100 is not a small number, it's a good number of supine PCNL+. plus. What would you say the limitations are for prone PCNL, Yannick? Do you find there's any limitations? Are there situations where you sometimes halfway through the procedure think, I wish I'd put this patient supine? Well, I think we have done thousands of prone and I never had a situation where I thought that, well, it's a mistake. Extremely obese patients, the step of flipping the patient is sometimes challenging. And in those patients, if we know how to do a supine very well, we would skip that test. So that is the major advantage. So I never encountered a situation when I had to, from a prone, go back to supine. But when you flip the patient, you always feel that if we could have finished this supine, it was better. And now that we do supine, we take a decision that this very obese patients, unfortunately, they are very far and few in India. Most fortunate. I wish I could say the same, that we have low BMI cases in the UK or in Europe. Guido, your thoughts, please. What do you think the limitations are for supine? And at that time, well, when, when you perhaps would have rather done a prone position. Well, my answer will be very, very quick. Limitations are not so many because after I switched to supine, I had to go back to prone only in two cases out of more or less 3,000 cases. 
So only few cases. One was a very difficult orchid kidney, and the other case was a case with a hypersplenomegaly, and there was no window for supine. But this is a good point. I am a supporter of supine, but of course, in full safety. If there is no window, no problem to go back to prone. But as I told you before, two cases out of more than 3,000. So limitations are very few. But the real limitation, if I may, is the mindset of the surgeon. Because I'm sure that a king of PCNL like Janak should increase the number of supine. Because supine, I don't see so many limitations, only 100 out of many thousand. Because most of the time, supine is the way to go. But I can imagine. Can you imagine, Lei? Janak is the king of PCNL since years. And now he has to start with new movement, new mindset is not easy because I experienced that feeling in the beginning. I was already an expert surgeon. And in the first 20 cases, I was feeling very uncomfortable. And I think that you experienced the same, Lei. Yes, indeed. Like everything, there's a learning curve. Yannick has also mentioned some products. I just wonder whether I can ask Guido whether there's any products or device that make doing supine PCNL much easier. I mean, we've talked about a couple of those products, such as the Engage Fiber, but is there any particular products that are your go-to products? Yannick has mentioned about the benefit of an Engage doing mini PCNL. Are there some products you use which are your go-to products when doing supine PCNL? Well, honestly, this is not typical for supine, but I don't start a PCNL if I don't have an end perk ready on my scrub nurse table, because I think that for standard perk is a very easy tool. You can remove very big stone and you can decrease the time, operative time very significantly. I really like a lot. And also a Cobra catheter is the catheter that, which allows me to negotiate the UPJ. And when I start dilation, I feel much more comfortable when I have the guide wire in the bladder instead only in the kidney. Because as Jana underlined before, hypermobility of the kidney in supine is a little bit disturbing sometimes. So when you have the guide wire down, I feel home. Thank you for that response. And Yannick, are there any products or device that uh, you would insist on having when doing your PCNLs? The Cook dilation set, it's an absolute must if you are a PCNL man, so you need the full dilation set, the amplads in particular. The amplads are the ones that I love, but I would also like to have the extra stiff guide wire on the table when I'm doing a PCNL, a supine to be more precise, because if that extra stiff guide wire is already in position, and as I'm doing supine, I decide to introduce the flexi retroscope from below. This guide wire is going to make the entry of the flexible urethroscope so easy. Somebody just would thread it on the guide wire and there you go. In two minutes, somebody's up there in the kidney. So that is a guide wire which I would like to use. And my favorite, I'm repeating, my favorite is the Engage basket. It is the best basket. It's a grasper and a basket, both. So I love it. Thank you. I just have... Probably one final question, really. As the new laser technology has come on with the new pulse-modulated laser technology, such as the Cook Medical Quanta CyberHo, I wonder whether the indications for PCNL has changed slightly in terms of the size of the stones you would operate on in the PCNL or mini-PCNL, for example. I would say that, of course, there is an increasing number of stones that we are treating with flexibility No doubt about that. But I do think that there is still need for PCNL. 
it's difficult to standardize exactly which stones are for PCNL, which other are for flexible. This is an advantage of supine because if I place the patient in my position, a lot of time I start with the feeling that flexible arthroscopy is the way to go, but then I cannot enter the lower calyx. So patient is ready. I switch on the way to mini perk or standard perk, whatever. So I think that this is an important point. There is still need for PCNL and a good endourologist should be familiar with all type of flexible PCNL and all time of miniaturized PCNL because endourology is never black and white, is different degrees of gray. Yannick, as an ultra mini PCNL expert, is there a cutoff in terms of the size of the stone that you might consider doing ultra mini on? Yes, so I said earlier that the size between 15 to 20 millimeters is the sweet spot for Ultramini. Beyond 20 is going to be a larger stone volume to be tackled by miniaturized PCNL. So then we would switch to mini PCNL, 22 or 24 French dilation. Right. Gentlemen, I've really enjoyed chatting to both of you today, and I've learned a lot from you. I just wonder whether I can have some closing comments on prone PCNL and your thoughts to our audience about prone PCNL and in particular ultra mini PCNL. Well, this whole debate of prone and supine is going on in the world. But at the end of the day, I think Guido began with saying that one is not better than the other. So it's like the right-hand drive and the left-hand drive uh, in cars. Half the world is doing right-hand drive and half the world is doing left-hand drive. And a safe driver is going to drive well. But it's not like that. There are some pluses and minuses here. So, you know, if I can give an analogy, you do a lap nephrectomy, the standard way through the abdomen, transperitoneal. And people do a lap nephrectomy, extra peritoneal as well. People do an anatomic robotic or anatomic open prostatectomy. And some people embrace just perineal prostatectomy. Both the sets of surgeons, they give good outcomes. You should be very well adapt to it. I think as a complete PCNL surgeon, you got to learn prone as well as supine. You should be confident with both. As an endourologist, you need to have the versatility for your patient. So thank you very much for your closing comments on that. Guido, any closing comments for our audience? Any advice? Well, let me tell you that I'm really happy today because I realized that also Jana, that in the past was an enemy of supine, is slowly <laughs> switching along with other American friends. So I'm sure that the trend is in favor of supine. And I'm sure, Lay, and I count on you that next year, the same event will be organized with Janak on the supine side. So. <laughs> yes. By then, it would have done several thousands by then. Uh, <laughs> I also want your thoughts, gentlemen, on really why is it there's such large variation in adaptation for supine PCNL globally? We have our friends in America, in Europe, and also in India, very different adaptation of supine PCNL. So Guido, especially in America, why is it they've been very slow to take on this approach, supine PCNL? I can answer Lay by saying this. When I teach supine to naive surgeon, to young surgeon, they learn supine very easily and in few cases they are expert. If you teach a supine to an expert prone surgeon, it's very sometimes frustrating in the beginning. So I can understand the feeling of the American colleagues. They, they feel already like expert in prone, so they don't see the real need of switching to supine. But as 
you are seeing actually more and more American surgeons. After I taught supine to my friend Brian Esner, they are switching slowly to supine PCNL. Of course, an American surgeon is more reliable for the American colleague. And so actually is delivering the message that supine is an easier way to do the same surgery. So you will see that in 10 years, supine PCNL will be the most executed surgery. Am I right in saying that you're spreading the gospel through America by Brian Eisner, which I think is a fantastic strategy? Yeah. So thank you. Yannick, I just wanted your thoughts as well, why do you think there's such a global variation where there's lack of adaptation to adopting to supine PCNL? You've started doing them, which is wonderful. Someone of your experience, it's fantastic to see you all slowly coming around to the idea. But I just wonder whether you have any thoughts on why in India in particular, the adoption of this technique has been slightly slow. Yeah. So I think whenever uh, science is moving forward, it moves forward in two different ways. Either there is a path-breaking innovation or some discovery, and suddenly you feel that, oh, this was all bad, and this is the way to go. And everybody gets convinced immediately. Like lithotripsy came in, you know, when lithotripsy came in, open surgery was suddenly just went down and lithotripsy was the way to go. That was path-breaking. Here, as far as position is concerned, it is a second kind of movement in science where it is, these are slow movements. As you move one step, you feel that, yes, this was a good step. This gave me some good ideas. And you balance the steps. Now, you are so much used to doing prone PCNL because all the seniors taught us how to do prone PCNL. So it takes a while before the world will embrace supine. And I'm still doing majority of my PCNLs are prone PCNL. But once upon a time, I thought that, oh, why should you ever embrace supine? But it makes some sense. You should be embracing supine in some situation. And if you are very adapted to doing a supine guy is going to give the same results as a prone guy. So as you move forward, you feel that, yes, there is a little bit of advantage of this particular change in the technique and you start balancing it and embracing it. In America, I think the senior guys, all of them were very much prone related. They taught the world, they wrote books on that. And now for a man who is 65 and above, it's difficult to change. So Guido picked up the right uh, <laughs> technique of <laughs> right training time. a more flexible guy, a junior guy. <laughs> yes, well, and on that note, I'd like to thank you both. It's been a very informative podcast. And on behalf of the endourologists, Society. I'd like to thank both yourself, Dr. Desai, and also Dr. Juicy, for participating in the podcast, which was sponsored by Cook Medical. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank, thank you. you.